0: I'm Alexander. I'm Simon. And I am Haney. We're Native in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 227, recorded on May the 24th, 2023. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on NativeinTech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. So this is the first episode uh, of two parts where we discuss news from Microsoft build that is going on right now and and as this mm-hmm. this episode is aired uh, tomorrow on Thursday uh, they're they're ramping down build and there was a time where the three of us didn't really care about build because we were all about ignite and in my case all about past data Summit. I think we need to um, reevaluate the uh, the news coming out of Build these days, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. because yeah, the the stuff that came out uh, that deals with data was just staggering. And I will mm-hmm. be doing a a focus segment on on the the more deeper uh, bits and pieces of it. But let's just go for it. Let's begin with a small one: Microsoft <laughs> Fabric.
1: Literally, just a little piece
0: of fabric. Just, just just a little piece of fabric, yeah. I mean, literally a complete game changer. Uh, and I do not use uh, that statement lightly. So I've, I've been in the the preview. I've seen uh, a lot of what, what um, this was going to be. Mm-hmm. I do not like the name at all, as does a lot of people. But that <laughs> may be neither here nor there. Uh At the same time, it is a, everything, everything old, everything we've already had. There, there are very few true new components, but at the same time, it is packaged in a completely new way, essentially targeting the likes of Snowflake. We were talking broadside. This, there is no discussion. This is geared exactly at the, the business model of Snowflake, for instance.
1: Before we continue, since we have spoken about the names before, how does Fabric relate to the intelligent data platform?
0: Well, that that is a really good question.
1: And um... well, I prefer Fabric over the intelligent data platform. Yeah, no. true, so
2: it's an improvement. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly, it is. True From that. <laughs>
0: But no, what, I, <laughs> what I'm guessing again is that the Intelligent Data Platform will be the overarching name for every data component in, in Azure. And even mm-hmm. though Fabric is a one-stop shop, it's still just one of the offerings in Azure. Yep. We're still gonna have a Synapse for the foreseeable future. We're still gonna have a SQL Server, Cosmos DB, PostgreSQL, all those things are gonna be there. But Fabric brings a whole new way of looking at solving data challenges. Let's start with what it is. It's a a software as a service. I was Mm -hmm. very close to saying software as a service, service, but the (laughs) Department of Redundance Department uh, would have had uh, opinions on that. So instead of me building a data warehouse or a, a data lake house based off um, one Azure data lake component, one Spark pool, some Synapse pipelines here and there, some notebooks. Those are disparate pieces. They they go together like Legos and boom you have a, a nice tool or a nice uh, data platform um, environment for you to use. This is quite different. Instead of putting out all these bits and pieces, you have everything inside of the Fabric portal that used to be the Power BI portal. And you don't need to go outside. Everything can be done through that portal. If you need a lake house, while well, you click create new lake house, it will create all the resources for you. You don't need to care where it is. It's just going to be there. Need a new data warehouse? Do the same. Need a uh, an ingestion pipeline? Well, clicky, clicky, draggy, draggy, and you get the Synapse pipeline that does exactly that. Why would you do this? Well, you get everything in one package. You do not need to have multiple people going in and doing multiple things in Azure. You still should use multiple people because not no one sane person can do all these things. Look at it as, as personas. But the big kicker is the money. Instead of having to figure out How many minutes will my Spark pool run? Because that will impact my cost. Can I optimize my my loading? Will that decrease the cost? How much do I store in the lake? Um, How much data do I process through serverless? All these things will give you a variable cost. You can spend a lot of money if you're sloppy. You can spend much less money if you're careful none of that in fa- in fabric because you buy a capacity, a fixed capacity for a fixed amount each month and off to the races you go. Looking at the, the numbers, uh, you have uh, fabric capacities ranging from F2 to what was the biggest one? Uh, 1,024. So it, it, it doubles. <laughs> um, so you have 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256, fifty ah. six, five twelve, and uh, 1024. So ju- just to give you an idea, the F2, which is the entry-level SKU, uh, is about 260 pounds. What is that? 300-something dollars? And
1: um,
0: Yeah. yeah. And Your take. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very blunt. The F2 is going to be completely useless for everything if you're not doing any <laughs> uh, demos or, or just toying with it. So that means for $300... You're getting access to all these components for demos, for training, for all those things. Suddenly, $300 is not that much. But if you keep looking, an F8 is the equivalent of an A1 SKU in Power BI parlance. That will set you back a thousand pounds, which is probably closer to $1,500 a month, $1,300. And if you want to have the equivalent of a P1 SKU that today costs $5,000 a month, well, you're looking at twice that. That's a lot of money. But it's not. Again, when you look at what you get out of the box, it is difficult to to grasp just how, how attractively priced this whole behemoth is we're going to be spending quite some time figuring out how to use it. Uh, that's that's for sure. But the, the, the value proposition here is enormous. One of the, the, the challenges that we've always faced with the cloud was someone told us in the beginning that, yeah, you're going to save a lot of money to go into the cloud. Uh, I'm here after a lot of years going, nope, you are not. You're probably going to be spending more money. Uh, it's not going to be the same kind of money. Well, capex versus opex or or vice versa but yeah but this suddenly we might actually have a fixed price for everything uh data quite cool
1: i have so many questions but we won't have time (laughs) to answer them all um so so i will just wait and and for the record i have a customer who actually says that they've saved money going to azure compared to having their own data centers that's
0: so um, it, yeah. it is definitely possible. possible and it, it just goes to show mm-hmm. that you need to do your homework and some workloads are going yeah, to be absolutely super expensive in the cloud. Some workloads are
1: going to be super cheap in the cloud. Yeah. But, but yes, uh, very good point. So what else from the data world? have been released at Build. And we will, like you said, obviously revisit Fabric and, and answer all of my stupid questions. Well,
0: not not, not, <laughs> not <laughs> stupid questions, I think, because I've spent, as I was alluding to, I um, I spent a lot of time with this in the, the preview before it was released. Mm-hmm. I've spent the entire day-to-day and most of the night trying to wrap my head around what will this mean. Um, and and not from a yeah. technical perspective, more from a tooling, from a process. How do I how do I approach this? Yeah. How will this change my career as a data professional going forward? Um, so, yeah, we'll we'll definitely touch back on these, both from a technical perspective, but but also from a a more um, high level perspective, if you will. We got a lot of co-pilot stuff. It. it do you, do you remember when Donovan Brown came on um, Microsoft a couple of years back and, and he had this saying of, just sprinkle some DevOps on everything? Well, someone <laughs> took a page from that and <laughs> we have now sprinkled DevOps, uh, sorry, sprinkled Copilot on everything and their cat. Yes. Yeah. And mm. I'm torn. I've derated ChatGPT. I've, I've had a lot of fun with ChatGPT. Uh and then I started trying to use ChatGPT and the damn thing's pretty good. It frustrates me to no end it that it, given the right mm-hmm. input, and as long as whatever mm-hmm. you're asking for is not too new, it has some pretty slick responses. So the mm-hmm. idea of taking co Chat GPT, ChatGPT, uh, large language models whatever you want to call it and put it into tooling inside of uh, Power BI for instance and I know that that Simon's going to talk about other bits and pieces of copilot going forward that mm-hmm. that's it, it's it's huge just imagine having all yeah. your data at your fingertips and asking for could, could you uh, could you show me the the sales figures for the the branch office in in Wahoo, Last week, boom, <laughs> done, fixed, and keep working on it and and uh, enriching the data and then just keep slicing with normal text. That is just enormous. And then you turn the whole thing on its head and go, Could you describe what I'm looking at? Why are these sales numbers the way they are? And then you're leveraging not only the the um the ability of ChatGPT to understand what you're writing, but also the the uh, uh, capabilities of Power BI to do analytics and then have, have ChatGPT mm-hmm. or Copilot uh, explain it. So I'm I'm eagerly looking forward to the Copilot, which is going to come in two flavors. One is the DAX Copilot. Um, meaning that that Copilot will write your DAX code. I've seen some horrible examples of of especially ChatGPT doing this. Uh, It wasn't even funny because it made up the most horrible things. So I hope that's going to work better going forward. But then again, this is a very limited implementation, meaning that the the chances are it will be much better. Um, And we will, going forward, uh, uh, have ChatGPT, I keep saying ChatGPT, Copilot, and Power BI, where you can talk um, to your data, essentially, and and ask questions around your data. So super
1: excited to see see that. So so now it's really at the point where you can say, please speak data to me. Pretty much. (laughs) I think that was one of our original things that we might have thought about naming this podcast. Yeah, we, podcast, we did
0: uh, play around with the idea of, of Talk Data to Me, but you nixed it because you didn't feel it was um, uh, enough of your stuff.
1: That might change with Copilot. True Who knows? that.
0: Then again, we might be redundant with Copilot. true.
1: And I will never be redundant because Copilot will always need someone to support the users that try to use it. So I can always go back to support <laughs>
0: Yeah, and and speaking of (laughs) that, I saw a wonderful uh, thing on uh, Twitter the other day when it comes to uh, AI and and such. uh, It it said that to replace programmers with AI, clients will need to accurately describe what they want.
1: We're going to be safe. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I think that is so That is difficult.
0: Then we have the the underpinning of... of, um, of fabric is called OneLake, and this is a huge thing. So the OneLake, apart from having yet another horrible name, uh, sorry, <laughs> i it, uh, I think it's horrible. Uh, the OneLake is uh, a data lake, Azure data lake storage, like everything else, but it has a new data f- um, storage format. It's actually a combination, well, it, it's parquet it's parquet with some special sauce so everything that can read parquet can read this format but only um, stuff inside of fabric can write this specific parquet so it's the uh, it's delta uh, delta lake which is in turn based on on um, on parquet this means that you're storing data in the same format that power bi consumes data why does that matter well we used to have a couple of ways of accessing data in Power BI. One would be to import all the data into the Power BI service, super fast. Or you could do direct query, super slow, where you pretty much for everything you did, you fired off a query down to a database or whatever. The holy grail has always been to leave the data in situ and query it with good performance. Well, say hello to one, one lake and direct lake communication that's exactly what it does so you're storing data once hence the one lake and you can consume this data from just about anywhere including your reports the demos show literally trillions of rows being very very snappy inside of power bi in a way that you simply cannot do today so this unlocks enormous potential as well and it doesn't sound like much i mean dark lake and one lake eh, doesn't sound like much, but it, it is ginormous.
1: It's like OneDrive.
0: As if that was yeah. a good thing. Yes, I I don't understand why people keep <laughs> calling it OneDrive for data. Yes. Like OneDrive would be
1: a good thing, sure when it works. No, that that must be a horrible way of describing it.
0: Well, yeah, yes like, no, so. I can't for the uh, for the life of me remember what it's called, but there is a um, kind of a data explorer, a, a tool that integrates OneLake with your um, your explorer, Windows Explorer, so you can look at the contents mm-hmm. of your OneLake um, storage file storage as yep. if it was a folder. <laughs> that is kind of nice. And it behaves not unlike um, One OneDrive in, in that case. So you can upload files through your your uh, Exploring and stuff. So I got to hand it to them. They, that sounds dangerous. They did a pretty, pretty cool it thing. <laughs> then we have Power BI and Git integration. So the Power BI format has always been... Um, no, I, I have opinions on the Power BI format, and as does everybody else. But there are new uh, formats coming out. Um, so we had Timdall um, which we, we've talked about, uh, and Timsol, which was the the uh, old format. Now we have PBIT, so Power BI templates and, and such. The, the point here is to do what they should have done from the beginning, decoupling bits and pieces of um, Power BI format. So instead of having a binary file, today a PBIX file is a zip file, you now have text uh, such as JSON and and such. So what you're getting is proper Git integration with Power BI. Suddenly you can do proper CICD with um, Power BI, not only through using um, deployment pipelines. Because the question that inevitably comes up with the entire Fabric thing is, well, how do we enterprise this? How do we we make this work for for an enterprise? And the answer is Power BI um, deployment pipelines, which is a premium only feature.
1: Yeah, like I I still have so many questions, Uh, but (laughs) of course it's good. Like that's what we have spoken about so many times that, as you said, Donovan Brown, you can use DevOps principles and tooling on almost everything. Uh, I've had a period in my life where I thought that I would look at my life as a DevOps <laughs> pipeline, <laughs> which to some extent what? made you give so up much after sense. all your rollbacks, it right? To- no, uh, the problem was that I was the change manager as well, and I never approved anything. <laughs> I just got stuck in research, like any old ITIL change management council. <laughs> so that's not
2: DevOps. I'm sorry, Simon.
1: I was using DevOps principles <laughs> and then ITIL came and hit it on the head. <laughs> For more information <laughs> so around this, l- yeah, listen to our focus segment or focus episode on Agile.
0: <laughs> Agile might be the, the worst <laughs> yeah, name but, of
1: anything ever.
0: But yeah, let's let's not...
1: Apart from Intelligent Data Platform <laughs> yes. and One Lake and Fabric <laughs> and Entra. in Entrail? Priva. Priva. Yeah. Priva. We haven't spoken about Priva. The the privacy thingy that Microsoft oh has that will will do stuff. Yeah. So um,
0: <clears throat> a lot of people have expressed um, being overwhelmed by by Fabric. I'm, mm. I'm one of them. And I mean, I've, I've seen this for quite a while and still th- this hit me yeah. straight in the face. Kurt Bueller has created a wonderful visual uh he called it the goblins guide to fabric and it explains very well mm-hmm. the different bits and pieces and and how they go together and what you're you're supposed to use them for uh, we're going to link that in the the show notes because that one is just phenomenal he has this amazing way of, of explaining mm-hmm. things sticking to the data stuff um there has been some updates to um Haney's favorite, uh, Global toy, aka Cosmos DB.
2: <sighs> ah, not my favorite. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> Cosmos DB is fun, I guess.
1: That's a, it's a <laughs> so good for name. Cos-
2: it it's actually a good name. It, it makes is. sense. Yeah, yeah. So earlier in. The previous Ignite, I believe, we got some updates into Cosmos DB, which made the description to be that it is a distributed database for NoSQL and relational workloads. So we got the relational workloads in, in the past year. And now, of course, what's added in to the description is the leading cloud database for generative AI workloads.
1: Oh including
2: come on. Chat GPT. So we haven't got Copilot in Cosmos DB yet, but they've added a, a description that it is the leading cloud database for generative AI workloads. So I behind ChatGPT, GPT they're actually using Cosmos DB. That's what it's referring to with that, of course, because it's everybody is thinking about ChatGPT, GPT, so it's a, also a good you no know, sales pitch. It can do powerful things. That's the thing. Yep. And there is more capabilities that have come in that brings uh, more flexibility to the use of Cosmos DB, I would say. And maybe um, reduces some of the drawbacks and limitations that have been in place previously. So one of them is burst capacity that has come in. So you've had to either um, set a defined capacity level or a auto-scale capacity for your Cosmos DB um, containers. And oftentimes, even with the auto-scale, it will take a little time to scale. So you could easily hit rate-limited requests when it doesn't scale fast enough. So with the burst capacity, when you enable that, it will allow you to go above your uh, limit for a little bit of time before it kicks in with the rate limiting. So it gives a little more flexibility to you. If it's just a, a very short burst, then you're fine. Nothing happens. Uh, if it's a longer burst, then you still should be scaling up. So you cannot rely on the burst capacity forever. But you will be able to kind of maintain your performance if you have any of these short bursts happening in your application that uses Cosmos DB, for example.
1: But will that act as a buffer? So let's say that I have the auto-scaling. And like you said, Mm -hmm. if I get a burst without the burst feature, it will take some time to to ramp it up. If I have Mm -hmm. the burst feature, does that mean that it will scale in parallel? So that when... I, What I'm asking is, in practice, will Burst be the buffer until it's scaled high enough? Or will Burst yeah, just ensure that the shortest ones are taken care of instead of scaling it?
2: Um, I believe it's both. This might be my misunderstanding, though. Uh, it is mainly for the short Bursts. But okay, if you do yeah. have the auto scale it won't like stop your auto scale from working also. Yeah. Or, or yeah. auto scale will still function as you've defined it to function. This,
0: this behaves very okay. much like uh, Power BI does. So you you buy a capacity of Power BI P1 for instance. That gives mm-hmm. you X amount of power. If you for mm-hmm. some reason need more power instead of throttling, it is going mm-hmm. to burst give you this power. And do so a couple of times, and also alert you that mm, you're 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 overusing this. Yeah, uh, you yeah. want to you want to change this. And in the case of, of Power BI, it mm-hmm. will charge you um, if you do it enough times. It will charge you the extra. Okay. And yeah. the mm-hmm. the cost for the burst stuff is way higher than if you scaled it properly. Mm-hmm. And, and so that that's your incentive mm-hmm. to scale correctly.
2: Another interesting aspect is a. <sighs> Added capability to partition keys. So partition keys is something you need to set uh, when you use the NoSQL API in Cosmos DB. And it essentially determines how your data gets partitioned uh, across logical partitions in Cosmos DB. So previously you had some limitations to the partitions. So for example, your partition couldn't be over 20 gigabytes, for example. Or you could have just a single partition key. And oftentimes you could end up in situations where like the most logical partition key, uh, for example, has two huge A sets, So you would have to figure out something, something weird to sort around that. And so now there's this capability that has come in, which is called hierarchical partition keys. And what it enables you to do, you can have like multiple levels. So, for example, uh, you could have, uh, if you have some kind of global company, let's say, since Cosmos DB is a global uh, service. So, for example, your first level hierarchy partition key could be, for example, the country. And then the second level could be... uh, the city or something like that so that you get to a small enough data set as well. And though there is the similar aspect as with partition keys previously as well, that needs to be specified when you create the container or the database, so to speak, in your Cosmos DB. But it's an interesting capability that will, I think, help many many scenarios in using it's Cosmos DB. It's been one
0: of the weirder ones. I mean, it, it's... It's designed to be essentially limitless, right? But at the same time, it had Mm. these almost arbitrary limits that frustrated the heck out of people that that tried to build proper global scale stuff.
2: Exactly. And then lastly, uh, what has been added, there's a few other small things, but uh, I'm just highlighting a few of the bigger ones. Lastly, we have also materialized views for Azure Cosmos DB. So what that pretty much says is that you can create a view based on one container in your Cosmos DB account and give it, for example, another partition key. And then it keeps up to date uh, based on the changes in the first set of data. So you essentially kind of create a copy, but that can be, for example, partitioned in a different way. And if you know more about Cosmos DB, partitioning is really important in terms of performance, but also in terms of cost. Because, of course, if you fetch one partition, that is going to happen fast, and it's also going to need less of the units that (laughs) Cosmos DB counts that I cannot remember now. (laughs) And it will be better for you performance and cost-wise as well.
0: So that essentially means you you can have the cake and eat it.
2: Yes, exactly. I like cake. Yes, me too.
0: And, and, and everybody's in agreement that cake is good and fabric is a bad name. And <laughs> on that, I think we, we need to end this part of the build uh, special and uh, come back for for the next part next week where, where we will... Uh, it, it feels very, very bad to say we're going to deal with the rest of the stuff that came out of of, of build, <laughs> uh-huh. but that is not what I mean. It, there were so many awesome things that we simply yes. could not fit into one one episode. So uh, come back next week and we'll keep this uh, conversation going. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Needleap in Tech. Nidipintech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Avitson, Simon Binder, and Heini Hilmarinen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at